emphasis on our missions program, uh, do everything we can. We'll pick a project to do and raise money for. And uh, this year, our project is, and, it's, and it may be, I don't want to predict the future, but it may be a, a major project for a few years now. Uh, but we, how many of y'all remember, you've ever, you remember and you've heard of Boko Haram, the, the, the major radical Islamic group that kidnapped all those girls several years ago? And we, this is where we're going. We're going to where they are. We are taking light to the darkness. Amen? And uh, so we've been praying about that. I've asked you to pray what God would have you to do to give toward this project. And, and, and so today's the day. Today's the day where we're going to step out in faith and do something great. And uh, today we have uh, uh, Brother Nelms with us today. He's one of our favorite missionaries, uh, president of, of the Timothy Initiative, our partner in accomplishing this great task. I, I, I spoke to a, a basketball team, a ladies basketball team yesterday, and I said this, and, and this is not something that I come up with. I, I, I've learned this from, from great leaders, and I've learned this from people who have done great things. You can do something good alone. You can do something good alone. But in order to do something great, you got to have a team. It requires a team to do something great. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I want to accomplish great things for Christ. Amen? And so we have teamed up with the Timothy Initiative, and it has been a, it has been a great, great team that God has put together. And, and so I want you to do me a favor. Most of y'all know Brother Nell. Some of y'all may not. Uh, but will you help me welcome with a good old-fashioned Temple Baptist welcome, Brother Nell's back to Temple this morning service. Love you, Brother Nell. Amen. my mic up. There we go. Thank you so much. Pastor Malcolm, it's an honor. To be Amen. Here. I love this church. I love, uh, I speak in uh, northern Alabama, I don't know, several times a year. If I'm within, I don't know, two hours of this place, hour of this place, I drive over just to drive by your church and take a look at it. I'm just so excited to be here. I want to thank you for your partnership. Uh, we are part of a team. I see myself, it, Malcolm, I see myself as on your staff. I'm just, I'm not a very good staff member, I'm, ne I'm never here, okay? But, but I see myself as being uh, on your staff, just simply an extension of what you're doing. I'm thrilled to be in a room filled with Great Commission people, a room filled with people who have a heart for the lost all over the world, especially in very difficult places. Let me give you a little background of who we are very quickly. Uh, TTI stands for the Timothy Initiative. We make disciples who make disciples. We make disciple makers. And in our context, we work primarily in Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and animist areas where typically there are no churches. In that context, when you make a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple, they will gather together. It's an amazing thing, Malcolm. You don't have to twist their arm. You don't have to tell them to go to church. They just gather together. And when they gather together, they worship the Father and study the Scriptures and pray and fellowship. In other words, the byproduct of doing what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, make disciples. The byproduct of making disciples are little churches begin to spring up. We focus on what's called unreached people groups and unengaged unreached people groups. And it would take forever to explain that, but basically an unreached people group is an ethnicity where there are very few Christians. And an unengaged unreached people group is an entire ethnicity, an entire nation, if you will, where there are no known Christians. 
There's just nothing. There's no churches. There's nothing. We are currently planting churches in over 700 unreached people groups, and we have engaged in the last couple of years 39 previously unengaged unreached people groups, and they all have a church, at least one church now. Uh, Pastor Malcolm is, is part of your team. I'm excited to, to, to say this right here. So far this calendar year, and you guys have been funding TTI every month, in addition to what you're doing in Nigeria. This is, when I say we, I don't mean me. I mean us. This is my report back to you, Temple. So far this year, for the first time ever, we have passed this calendar year over 10,000 churches being planted for the first time ever. And we will not, we do not count, we got to see them, we got to eyeball them. We will not count them until we verify it. The, the, the numbers I give you are hard numbers. We will pass 12,000 uh, by the end of this year. Let me show you a couple of pictures real quick. Like this is a church on a mountainside in Nepal. Much of the funding you have given, this may be one of your churches right here for all I know. Okay, there's thousands of them there. But you just see the Himalayas in the background there? Now, that's a, that's a view to, uh, to die for, amen? Uh, look, that's a church right there. Look at the next picture. This is, uh, this is what we, that was a mountainside church, mountaintop church. This is what we call a stairwell church. And they, they're, they're just everywhere. And then this last church is in Africa. This is what we call a tree church. Uh, even Auburn fans can figure out why, amen? Uh, that was a lousy joke, I know. The offering just, just went down, Malcolm. Okay. Uh, how many of you have ever been to Africa? Can I see your hands? I don't know what it is about Africa, but there's always one tree, okay? There's never two. There's never three. There's always one tree. So typically, we have a lot of churches that we start under trees. We'll have some in Nigeria uh, just like that. We're currently training 25,000 church planters in some 30 countries. That's a lot of church planters, folks. I know these are big numbers, but 25,000 church planters in 30 countries, including Nigeria. Nigeria is strategic. If you were to ask me, David, in the entire continent of Africa, what is the most strategic nation, without batting an eye, I would say Nigeria. There are 54 countries in Africa, depending upon how you define a country, I guess, but 54. Of those 54 countries, one out of every six Africans live in Nigeria. Actually, one out of every 6.4, 6.5. There's 190 million people in Nigeria. To give you an idea of that size of a population, that's the equivalent of 38 Alabamas. Okay? So just Alabama, 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 38 times. That's how big Nigeria is. If you draw a line right smack dab in the middle, east-west across Nigeria, the northern half of it is pretty much Islamic, almost exclusively. Uh, a lot of it's under Sharia law. As Pastor Malcolm mentioned, Boko Haram has been, and if you're not familiar with Boko Haram, Boko Haram, for every one person ISIS has killed, Boko Haram has killed three, okay? They just don't get in the press a whole lot like ISIS. But it is, it is, an, it is a ruthless, uh, just a, and on top of that, there's a huge tribe there, millions of people called the Fulani people, and the Fulani are 
tend to be extremely jihadist, and we actually have as many problems from them as we do from Boko, uh, Boko Haram. So that's the area that we are focusing in with, with your project here. The goal is to plant 500 churches. Now, our churches are little churches. Again, they, they meet under a tree or in one of those shacks there, little, those little huts. But even the size of our churches, 500 churches, is 10,000 new believers. And that's from primarily Muslim areas. Can we give God a big amen on that one? 10,000. Now, your church is one of the biggest churches in this state, literally. But if you look at your bulletin, 10,000 would be the equivalent of what this campus and the other campus is going to run today. And again, and again, and again, and again. And that's what you're getting ready to raise today. And one day, you're going you're to raise the funds, Lord willing, to reach 10,000 thousand new believers. Every $300 we can raise today, we can plant a church. And most families in this room, if they really, I don't know, you might have to sell your, I don't know, might have to sell something, but most of us could raise $300. Three, $1,000 will plant three churches. $3,000 will plant 10 churches. I'm talking about in villages. Listen, you can't, you can't support a missionary there. You can't do it. I'm talking about in places where there's never, ever been a church in the history of that place. $1,000 is going to plant three of those churches, 3,010, 10,033 churches. Pastor Malcolm, uh, we're on your team, and I'm here to tell you in Temple today, Nigeria on our end is ready to go. We're ready. We just need you now to step up and say we're going to get this thing done. We're going to get it done. I want to begin this morning with a verse, Revelation 5 and verse 9. Revelation 5 and verse 9, where the Bible tells us uh, they sang a new song, kind of like that song we just sang a moment ago, Thou Art Worthy, take the book talking about Jesus. And one day we're going to find ourselves gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find that we're not alone. We're going to find that there are people there who have been redeemed, bought to God, by the, blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, every tribe, every language, every people group, every nation, the Great Commission will finally be accomplished. It'll finally be done. But sometimes as I travel around this world of ours, it's so big and it's so lost, sometimes I find myself asking myself, how is it going to happen? I want to run you through the, the process this morning very quickly. First of all, First of all, it was His turn, Jesus Christ. It was His turn. 1 John 4, 14 says, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father sent Jesus down to this earth, and all the way to the cross, He did exactly what His Father sent Him to do. I mean, He didn't miss a lick. He was the Redeemer. He came to redeem us. He was the the Savior. He did the saving. He was the mediator of that new covenant between God and man. He was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. He not only did what God sent him to do, the Father sent him to do, but he did it perfectly. He never sinned. He did nothing wrong. He had no no, no wrong thoughts. He did everything his Father sent him to do. Hebrews says, as he entered this world, he came saying, I delight to do thy will, 
O God. And He did the Father's will all the way to the cross. He never veered off one bit. He was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. He dotted every I. He crossed every T. He shed every drop of blood that needed to be shed. And only then did He cry out in victory, It is finished. And He bowed His head and He gave up the ghost. And He ascended to the right hand of the Father where He ever lives to make intercession for us. First of all, it was His turn. He did it well. Then, it was their turn. Their turn. I'm talking about that first century church. John 20 and verse 21. Jesus said after He rose from the grave, He said, As my Father, as the Father has sent me, He said, I'm sending you. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then Jesus, Jesus said, It was my turn. Now it's your turn. Just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you out to tell the world that a Savior has come. Let me tell you something. I know we tend to romanticize that first century church, Book of Acts church. I know they weren't perfect. Jesus was perfect. They were not. They had their ups and their downs. They had a Demas. They had a, they had an Ananias and a Sapphira. They had a, uh, they had a, uh, uh, a uh, Diotrephes who loved to have the preeminence. They had a Hymenaeus and an Alexander uh, uh, heretics. I know they weren't a perfect church, but let me tell you something. They got the job done. Let me run through some verses for you. Acts 5:28. It says they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. Acts 5:42 says they never ceased. 5:42 they never ceased teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ. Acts 8:4 it says when persecution came, those who were scattered they went everywhere preaching the word. By the time you get to Acts 17, they had come to be known as the people who had turned the world upside down. You couldn't stop these people. You could knock them down. But you could not knock them out. They could be pressed, but they would not be pinned. You could threaten them, but you could not shut them up. You could not silence them. Let me tell you what happened. You could bite them with a poisonous snake, and they just shake the snake off into the fire and go heal somebody. You could lock them up behind iron gates, and the church would just get on their knees and start praying, and those iron gates would open up. You could stone them. You could stone them to death. And they'd either rise up and walk into the presence of Jesus to greet Jesus, or they'd rise up and then walk into the next town to plant Jesus, to plant a church. You, you just couldn't stop those people. You could throw them in jail, and they'd have church behind bars. And the next morning, they'd start a new church in the jailer's house. The gates of hell could not prevail or did not prevail against those people. You just couldn't stop them. You say, well, David, they must have had a lot of help. They must have had a lot of tools, a lot of resources. Let me tell you what they did not have. They had no seminaries. They had no salaries. They had no degrees, college degrees. They had no denominations. They had no computers. They had no committees. They had no airplanes. They had no automobiles. They didn't have Siri, Alexa, Facebook, Twitter. They had no buildings, boards, bylaws, business meetings, Bible colleges. They didn't even have Bibles. The Bible wasn't written yet. And this is going to shock you. They didn't even have Chick-fil-A. I mean, they had nothing. You say, David, how did they get the job done? Oh, let me tell you how. They had a holy helper. Acts 1 and verse 8. They had a holy helper that, that filled them. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out proclaiming Jesus everywhere, making disciples everywhere. And let me remind you, in their day, the entire world was an unengaged, unreached people group. You get outside of the borders of Israel, their Galilee to the north, Judea to the south, the entire world had been, was unengaged. There was no church. There was no board. There was nothing. And yet, they got the job done. This world was not worthy of those people. First it was his turn. Then it was their turn. Guess what? Temple. Yeah. Say it with me. Whose turn is it? It's our turn. It's our turn to take the gospel to the least reached parts of the earth. It's our turn to take the gospel to those who have never heard. It's our turn to take the gospel to little children, men and women, boys and girls who have been born in places where, where many of them have never heard the name Jesus Christ. And where, by the way, when they do hear the name, if they take that name, it can cost them their life. The task before us is absolutely enormous. Let me show you some slides. Forty percent of the world is still considered unreached. That's some three billion people. 
Look at the next slide. There's still 7,000 unreached people groups out there. Most of the people we're going to be working with with you in, in Nigeria would qualify in an, as an unreached people group. These are groups where there are few, very few Christians, very few churches. Look at the next slide. There's still over 1,000 unengaged unreached people groups out there. Look at the next slide. I may have shown you this last year. I'm from Atlanta. And I'm, yes, I am confessing that, okay? Uh, I'm from Atlanta, birthplace of Coca-Cola. I know the Great Commission can be accomplished because for all practical purposes, Coke has done it. Coca-Cola has taken... Listen, you can, that mountaintop church I just showed you, I guarantee you they're drinking Coca-Cola up there. That tree church I just showed you, I guarantee you they've got Coca-Cola under that tree. Coca-Cola somehow, I don't know how they've done it, but somehow, without roads, without logistics, without structure, somehow they've been able to take their product for the love of money in 150 years to practically the entire world. Something we have yet to do after 2,000 years for the... Listen, your, your, your slogan here is loving God, loving people, serving both. I've got to believe if we love God and if we love people, we're going to give them the gospel. Amen? I've got to believe that. And yet it's been 2,000 years and we haven't got the job done. Look at this, this next slide, this map here, where you see the red. That's, that's where your unreached and unengaged, unreached people groups are. Three, the, the red part of the world there, and part of it is in Nigeria, the northern part. The red part of the world there only gets 3% of the missionaries. The red part of the world there gets 1% of missionary dollars. In other words, for every dollar that is given to missions in this country, one penny of it goes to that part of the world, which is red. Which, by the way, just India and China alone is one-third of the population of the world. Where you guys are getting ready to invest is in that red part of the world. So first of all, the task is enormous. But secondly, the task is doable. If Coke can do it, the church can do it. Say that with me. Uh, can, can the church do it? Amen? If Coke can, the church can. Say it with me. If Coke can, the the church can do it. We can do it. But a major key is what your pastor just said, partnerships. We can get the job done if we do it together. There's an old African proverb, Malcolm, it's almost exactly what you just said. Here's how it goes. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we're not wanting to go fast here. We want to go far. And it's going to require a partnership to do that. 500 church plants, it is doable. It's our turn. We can do this if we do it together. So what's next? What, what, what are the steps? What... Uh, what do we do to get the job done in these 500 churches in the next year or two? Well, remember that verse where Paul said, use Paul said, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Remember that verse? I mean, y'all remember that verse? All right, here you got Christ, and you got Paul right behind Jesus. Paul's following Jesus. And Paul trained Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 2, who trained faithful men, who trained others, who impl the implication is they trained others, who trained others, who trained others, who trained others, who trained you. I think uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's just do what Paul said to do. Let's just follow those who followed him. For the most part, that first century church followed Christ. That's how they got the job done. If we want to get the job done during our turn, let's just do what they did. What did they do? Well, first of all, there was a devotion to prayer, Acts 1.14. The, the day before the church started, it says they were devoted to prayer, Acts 1.14. And the next chapter says, once the church got started, it says they remained devoted to prayer. We must ramp up serious, crying out for God's kingdom to advance prayer. We must pray for God to break our hearts. Listen, our nation is broken. Our nation is broken. I hope you'll pray and vote this week. Our nation is broken. We must pray for our nation. You say, David, we're talking about Nigeria. What about the United States? Listen, I try to witness to somebody here in the United States every day of my life. Listen, we must pray for our country. We must pray for the state. We must pray for this area. Pray for your pastors and your staff here. But ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to pray for the world. We must ramp up serious, brokenhearted, God, whatever it costs us, whatever it takes us, whatever, whatever I've got to do, I am willing to do it to get your gospel to the ends of the earth. We need that kind of prayer. Pastor Malcolm gave me permission out at the, uh, I guess it's an info desk out there. I've got some prayer cards. I asked God to give me 26 people to pray for us this week. 16 of them signed up Friday night. I'm looking for 10 people in this room that will pray. If you'll, if you'll join us in prayer, and specifically Nigeria, go to that counter pick up a card. So what is the next step? First of all, let's all pray. Secondly, there must be spirit-filled evangelism. Listen, I believe it's hypocritical to go after the lost in Nigeria if you're not going to go after the lost in your own neighborhood. Jesus died for a Coleman as much as he died for Nigeria. 
Now, that you've got, a lot easier, you've got a lot better chance of hearing about it in Coleman than you do in Nigeria. But people in Coleman need Jesus also. Spirit-filled evangelism. Whatever else it is that you believe about the Holy Spirit, this much I know. When the Holy Spirit filled people in the book of Acts, the end result was they had boldness to go out and they talked about Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 15, he said, when the Spirit comes, he will testify of me. Well, how does the Spirit testify? The Spirit is a spirit. Spirits don't have bodies. They don't have a mouth. How does the Spirit? The Spirit testifies of Jesus through you. He fills you and you have a mouth. You open your mouth and the Spirit of God uh, uh, speaks. Uh, as you open your mouth and speak, the Spirit of God is testifying of Jesus through you. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they're laboring in vain to build it. Listen, we can have the most cutting-edge tools. We can, we can have it all down. We can have the curriculum. We can have the system. We can have it all. But except the Lord build this Nigerian house, it's not going to get built. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul said, I planted upon his water. God gave the increase. And the songwriter wrote, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And I want to tell you, that very first upper room, that very, very first day when the Spirit fell, he came in a mighty rushing wind, and he came in a ball of fire. Andrew said, Peter, brother, look up. There's fire over your head. And Peter looked up and saw that ball of fire. Peter looked back at Andrew and said, Brother Andrew, look above your own head. And Andrew looked up and there was fire over his head. There was that mighty rushing wind. Uh, you, you guys missed the hurricane not by too much, two, two three weeks ago, Michael. That mighty, I've been through some of them. That mighty uh, Fort Pierce, you've probably been through some. That mighty rushing wind. I read that passage the other day in my prayer ever since it's been this. God, I want wind in my face. I want fire over my head. I want wind in my face. I want fire over my head. You know how we're going to get the job done? Devoted prayer, spirit-filled evangelism, and finally obedience to the Great Commission. Obedience to the Great Commission. Making disciples here, near, and far. Ladies and gentlemen, the Great Commission is more than an option to be considered. It's more than a responsibility to be shouldered. It's even more than a command to be obeyed. It is a, it is a deep honor that has been committed. Committed. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 19. A deep honor that's been committed to us by Him. It is a commitment. Temple, are you willing to say this morning, it's our turn. We will do our part. We got 500 uh, church planters ready to go. You see a couple of the books here. We actually use 12 of them. The books are printed. The books are shipped. They're there. The trainers, we call them Pauls. Pauls and Timothys. The Pauls are ready to go. Have you ever seen a racehorse just chomping to run? These guys are just chomping to run. They're ready to go. We need you. We need you to do your part. I want to close, and I, I, uh, I, I can sit here and tell you stories all day, but I want to show you a couple of pictures of people who have done their part well. Can you put up the next slide for me? This is Omar. Omar's the guy on the left. I was in a refugee camp, uh, northern Kenya. I think Pastor Jeff was there with me, I believe. We met Omar. Jeff, where are you? Jeff's outside smoking again. Where is he? Oh, there he is, way in the back. I should have known. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you remember Omar, Jeff. I'm pretty sure you were there. Uh, Omar started some churches for us in a UN refugee camp in northern, uh, northern Kenya, people that had come down from Sudan. And Jeff, when we were there, I was talking to Omar, he said, I want to go back to Sudan to start TTI there. And you've got to understand, going to Sudan is about like saying go to Boko Haram territory. It's, a, it, it's under Sharia law. It's just a horror. It's just, it's, it, I mean, it's just, I, I looked at him, I said, Omar, you do understand it's under Sharia there. Big smile. See that smile he's got? He said, yes, I understand. I said, Omar, you do understand they're not going to like what you're doing there, talking about Jesus. He said, yes, I understand. I said, Omar, you do understand they may kill you. Big smile. He said, yes, I understand. Jeff, that's when we went to Kenya. I don't even remember how it was two years ago, whatever. This past May, I was in Tanzania. We brought some of our leaders together, and Omar was there, and I was sitting at the dinner table with him. And I said, Omar, tell me how it's going. How's the work start? Because he just opened up the work. He was, he was just opening up the work then, just a couple months before then. And he said, we have 15 training centers, and we have 182 Timothys that we're training. Where, where do you find 182 church planters in, in Sudan, of all places? I mean, I don't, I don't know if you find 182 in Alabama, much less in, in, in Sudan. And a guy came walking by, I grabbed him, and I said, you've got to hear this. He's opened 15 training centers, and he has 180 church planters in Sudan. And Omar interrupted me and said, no, no, not 180, 182. <laughs> Isn't that good? 
I'm sitting there at the dinner table with them, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, this guy's like, it's like being in the presence of Moses or somebody. And I asked him, I said, have you ever, have you ever been arrested, ever, ever gone to prison in Sudan? He said, yes, big smile. He said, I've been to prison four times. Uh, and I, I was trying to think of how to ask the question. I couldn't come up with a word. I said, well, is it, what, what, is the prison, what are the prisons are like? Are they, uh, are, they, uh, are they nice? What a stupid question. Okay. Are, are they nice? And he kind of laughed. He said, he said, well, Dr. David, once you've been, to the, once you've been one time, you kind of get used to it after that. They opened up in May, right around April, May. They had already planted 87 churches in Sudan. 87. There, you're looking at a man who's doing his part. Look at the next slide. Some of you may know this guy, David Burrow. He, you, you, you guys helped fund the Mightily uh, uh, group in India, India and Nepal. David has worked a lot with them. David was in the Indian Army, and his wife got real sick. She was about to die, and the Hindu priest couldn't help, and the witch doctors couldn't help, and a Christian came and prayed for her, and God just saw fit to heal her. That got David's attention. He got saved. He started witnessing. became a disciple maker. became a church planter. They beat him. They beat the living daylights out of David. They beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him. One night, they burnt his house down to the ground while he and his wife and his kids were sleeping. They put him in prison. I was talking to one of his sons, or to, to, to his son, Daniel, and Daniel told me when he was a little boy, about five years old, his mother took him by one hand and his little sister by the other hand, three years old, and they went to the prison to, to give David some food so he wouldn't starve. And the, prison, the guard would not let them leave the food and cursed out and told them to get out. And Daniel said, as we left the jail, a crowd of people gathered, and we had to walk through the middle. He said, my mom was holding my hand and my little sister's hand, and we had to walk through that crowd. He said, they were all screaming and waving their arms at us and shouting at us. I said, Daniel, what, what were they saying? Do you remember what they were saying? He said, yes, I remember it well. He said, they were saying, kill them. Kill them. Burn them alive. They don't deserve to live. Kill them all. Little five-year-old boy. Never forget that. Never forgot those words. Just a few months ago, David was walking down the street and a, a, a motorcycle hit him. Hit and run. Knocked him down. Old guy like me. Broke several of his ribs. He went to, he, they, put him in, they put him in the hospital. But let me tell you something. You're not going to stop that man. You're not going to stop that man. That, you're looking at a man who's doing his part. You hear what I'm saying? He's doing his part. Look at the next slide. Look at this next slide here. This, this lady right here, poor as she can be, is my mother used to say in Georgia, poor as Job's turkey. And I'm not even sure what that means. But she's poor as Job's turkey. The woman can't read and she can't write. She can't, she's illiterate. She wanted to get into one of our training centers and, and we let her come in. And within the first four months, that lady led over 80 people to Jesus Christ. Can I pretend to be your pastor for just a minute? Because pastors are good at stepping on toes. Will you all give me permission? I'm going to ask for permission before I get myself in trouble. My guess is everybody in this room combined have not led 80 people to Jesus Christ in the last four months, including me. She can't read and write. You're looking at a lady who's doing her part. Look at the next picture. I love these guys. These are a couple of Indian blind men. Every time I see them, I think of that old nursery rhyme, three blind mice, but two blind Indians. And, and those are little, we'll be, we'll be using these little boxes in Nigeria. They come from Faith Comes By Hearing, if you're familiar with that ministry. It's little boxes, proclaimers they call them. You can push a button and people can hear the entire Bible with their own language. Or they run by solar power. They run by batteries. You can plug them in. You can even crank the things. And they, you know what these blind men do? They just stagger around the city. And when they hear people, a big crowd around them, they stop and they push the button. And people can hear the Bible in their own language. And people stop. These guys win people to Jesus Christ. They start churches that way. Isn't that crazy? How many of you can see? We don't have any excuses, folks. You're looking at two men who are doing their part. I think there's one more picture and I'm done. The guy in the white, his name is Muhammad. He kind of looks like he's dressed with a part, isn't he? His name? He's a Nigerian. 
he's a terrorist. He, uh, before they put him in prison, if he went by a church or he found Christians singing or praying, he'd become enraged, just enraged. He would, he, he would get with mobs that would riot, and they'd tear down churches and burn them and beat Christians. He has killed Christians. He's in, he was in prison, a Nigerian prison. One of our TTI church planters started a church there inside the prison. We'll start some of yours in prisons too. And he started hearing these songs of praise, just like the book of Acts. Remember the, 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 the prisoners hearing Paul singing at midnight? Remember that story? He started hearing these, these, these former Muslims praising God and singing and, and sharing their testimonies, and their lives have changed dramatically. They're no longer filled with hate and, and anger, but they're filled with the love of God. And somehow God's spirit just drew him. And, and Muhammad accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior in prison. Before they let him out of prison, they let him out of prison about six months ago. Before they let him out of prison, he led ten other Muslims to Jesus Christ. They let him out of prison. He's gone home. He's now Timothy. He's studying to, to be a church planter. All of his brothers, his uncles, his aunts, his wife, his children, his grandchildren, all of them are Muslims. They have ostracized him. They want nothing to do with him. I think only his wife is with him. He has lost everything he has. But this Nigerian man is saying, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep talking to Jesus for the day I die. You are looking at a man who, has, who is doing his part. Temple. It's our turn. It's our turn. You can do this. You can do this if you want to do it. It's our turn. First it was his turn. He did it perfectly. Then it was their turn. They knocked it out of the park. Now, it's our turn. Would you bow your heads, please? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the, the challenge we have received this morning. I'm so thankful for Christ who did his part all the way all the way the disciples the apostles who many were killed and martyred in a horrific way to get the gospel to us they did their part Lord now you're calling you're calling us to do our part Lord we're going to have altar workers that are available at the end of the service if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their savior I pray that you'll allow us to take a Bible and show them how to be saved we'll do that at the end right now I pray that you'll speak to every heart speak to every person tell them what they need to do it's not up to me this is not my this is not my church this is not my program this is this is not my world this is yours and I pray that you'll speak to every heart tell them what you want them to do God I pray that your perfect will be done today that's all we ask is that your perfect will be done today you tell us and we'll be obedient we're gonna do our part Lord I pray that your perfect will be done in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. You just keep playing softly. Here's what I want to do. I want everybody to get your little booklet out. Uh, everybody should have one. If you don't have one, if you don't have one, we'll make sure you have it. Do we have extras back there? Brother Bell, do we have some extras? If you do not have one of these little booklets, I want you to raise your hand real quick and we're going to run. I mean run. It's the only time it's legal to run to church. Run. Raise your hand real high. Raise your hand real high. We're going to make sure you get up in the balcony. We can help there. Make sure we get everybody. We've got several hands over here. Several hands. Several hands. Please get them out. Over here, Jason. There we go. All right, quickly, quickly, hold them up high, hold them up high. Don't put them down until you get one. Don't put them down until you get one. Okay, I need everybody to tear off your little page at the end. Everybody tear off your little page at the end. Tear off your little page at the end. Everybody tear off your little page at the end. Tear off your little page at the end. 